Merry Christmas. We have finally, finally gotten here to the point where we can say Merry Christmas. I mean, I hope you've been saying it for a while. But, but now it's here. That season of anticipation, the season of waiting is over. That's what Advent is, right? Is a, is a season of anticipation, a season of waiting, a season of preparation. For, for four weeks, we've lit these candles as we've prepared and waited for today and tomorrow. We've, we've waited. You know, today we join a, a long line of Christ followers who, who for millennia, for thousands of years, have remembered the arrival of God through the birth of his son, Jesus. For some reason, I think that this year, maybe, maybe more than others, but every year, many of us need to be reminded of the wonder of this night, of the, of the hope and peace and joy and love that, that invades, that comes into our busy, hectic, distracted, chaotic lives. There's no chaos quite like toddler chaos. We've been thinking here, we've been thinking for, for four weeks about what is at the heart of Christmas. For, for four weeks, we've been trying to, to figure out what it is that Christmas is all about. We've been trying to, to figure out what it is that, that makes this season special. And we've talked about the hope. And, and the peace, and, and the joy, and, and the love. But, but what we find today is that those four things, those, those four gifts that come to us that, that are part of the heart of Christmas are only a part of the heart of Christmas. That what the heart of Christmas is, if you've been paying attention to the Advent wreath, the heart is... We think about the heart metaphorically, right? Is it the thing that's at the center? Well, is hope or peace or joy or love at the center? No. It's, it's Jesus. Jesus is the heart of Christmas. All of this is about him. It's all about him. And in order to, to fully embrace Christmas, you want the best Christmas you've ever had? To, 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 fully, to fully embrace Christmas, to fully enjoy Christmas, we have to turn our attention toward Him. Y'all know that I love all of the trappings of Christmas. After all, I own this coat. I love the, the lights and the food and the family and the movies and the music and all of that stuff. Man, I'm the person, I've listened to everything today. I've listened from everything from the Tijuana Brass Christmas album through Punk Goes Christmas. I, I'm, I'm having a hard time thinking of a, a bigger divergence than Tijuana Brass to punk rock. But I love it. And one of the reasons that I love Christmas 
right, is because I have great memories associated with Christmas. I have great memories associated with, with this and with, with what we do. You know, sometimes it was just the three of us for Christmas. And those Christmases were, were awesome. And sometimes when I was real little, I would remember we would go up to Alabama to see my grandparents, and we would do Christmas with them, and we would come home on Christmas Eve, sometimes really, really late. So late that I was concerned that we were going to get there after the jolly fat man. Some other Christmases, we would go over on Christmas Day in the afternoon, we would go over to my dad's parents' house and spend Christmas with them. I remember the the Christmas that my grandfather got the Challenger Swiss Army knife. And if you all don't know what the Challenger is, the Challenger is the one that's about that thick. It's got every tool that you could ever... Supposedly a man built his own home using nothing but a Challenger Swiss Army knife. What I remember about that is Swiss Army knives come really, really, really sharp. Because somebody cut his hand open, getting it out of the package for his daddy. It was also, it was always a, a rush, too, at that, at that if, it's, if, if somebody needed a pocket knife, who could get their pocket knife out first? My grandmother, my dad's mom, she, she loved Christmas. It's been a, a joy and a blessing this year that I've been able to listen to some of the same Christmas records. Not the, not the same music, I mean the same actual physical record that she would spend at Christmas. I remember there was one Christmas, I was coming home from college. It was late. I don't remember when it was. I mean, obviously it wasn't right at Christmas time. It was a, probably a week or so before, but I'm on my way home, and I'm only about two or so miles from home. I was on College Boulevard, and College Boulevard has the great misfortune of being a straightaway that no one is ever on, particularly at 11 o'clock at night with a speed limit of 35 miles an hour. And so about the time I hit the entrance to the community college, woo, woo, behind me. And I got pulled over, and he wanted to know, as they often do, why I was moving in such a hurry. Where was I going? And I just told him the truth. Man, I'm trying to get home for Christmas. All right. Be careful. Slow down. Why was I in such a hurry to get home? Because being home for Christmas, for many of us, can feel like a big, warm, festive hug. There was no pressure to to be anything at Christmas. Christmas, particularly when I was in college, Christmas meant coming home, getting laundry washed, and getting to read Lord of the Rings. I could just exist. I was home for Christmas. For many of you, your experiences of Christmas are going to be very similar. For many of you, home was a place to belong. It was a place where you knew that no matter what was going on in your lives, no matter what what you brought in with you, you were going to be loved. You were going to be wrapped in that hug. But... There are others in this room who are joining us online who might not have had that experience going home for Christmas. 
Maybe being home for Christmas for you was not something that was accompanied by warm feelings and happy memories. Maybe the idea of being home for Christmas actually brought you a lot of pain and anxiety. Maybe Christmas was something you survived and not celebrated. Because home didn't feel like a place where you belonged, but a place where you felt like you didn't fit. And here's the thing. Both experiences are valid. For those of us who had the great blessing to to be able to go home at Christmas, your feelings are valid. Don't let anybody rain on your Christmas memories and tell you that somehow they're not real because they're filled with joy and love. And for those of you who had Christmas memories who aren't so joy-filled and love-filled, your experience is valid too. Sometimes we live in the real world and not a Hallmark movie or a Lifetime movie or a Netflix movie or an Amazon movie. Who else is doing Christmas movies these days? I saw a really funny meme on uh, Facebook the other day. It said the Hallmark scientists were very excited because they almost had discovered a new Christmas movie plot. But sometimes, sometimes life isn't like that, right? Sometimes life doesn't end, the, the movie of life doesn't end with the kiss and the snow and the, oh, I'll give up my big city career to move home and marry the burly lumberjack flannel-wearing baker who has a heart of gold. It would be kind of weird if my movie ended that way. But see, here's the thing. I I think the the beauty here is, is that both of these experiences teach us something about the tremendous joy of celebrating the birth of Jesus and the overwhelming love of God. Which brings us to our first point. Our first point is this. The heart of God is revealed through the arrival of Jesus. The heart of God is revealed through the arrival of Jesus. We all long to feel like we belong, like we are loved just as we are, like like everything is as it should be. It's why we love those Hallmark movies, right? Because it feels, when they're done, like everything is as it should be. But, but often our longing meets the reality of the world in which we live. And the world in which we live is broken. And in the world in which we actually live, many of us feel as if we are alone. There, there is a reason why we often feel like we don't quite fit in. And I know that every single one of us has felt that at some point. Now, when we were in middle school or high school, we were convinced that we were the only person who didn't fit in, right? And then you go home to your 10th or 20th or 25th reunion and you start talking to the popular girl or the popular guy and they tell you how much they hated high school because they didn't fit in. And you just have to roll your eyes and you're like, right, yeah, buddy, you were the one who didn't fit in. There's a reason why it feels sometimes like there's a void within us. Because here's the thing, we we don't fit in here. Here's the thing, there is a void inside of us. I'm not here to tell you that everything's great and you fit in. 
and everything's wonderful and you're, you're fulfilled and perfect just the way you are because we're not. Because this world is not our home. Because we were made by God for something more than this, as wonderful as this can be. And this can be absolutely wonderful. A buddy of mine just started a new job as a park ranger at a state park down in South Florida. And he's very excited about it. And he's sending us lots of pictures. And let me tell you how wonderful God's creation is. I know that to not everybody in this room, the flat pine barrens of South Florida look beautiful. But they do to me. I know to everybody, his ambiguous, genderless friend, Stevie the alligator, might not be beautiful, but he, she, it, they is to me. But the truth is we were made for something more. And that God's heart is for us to awaken to that fact. The Christmas story begins, appears in the beginning of the gospel accounts in the New Testament. There are three different Christmas stories in the New Testament. There's a Christmas story we read from Matthew, kind of short. There's a Christmas story that we find in Luke, which was shown to us in the animation that we all know probably by heart from hearing Linus recited every year. There were in those days, keeping watch over their flocks by night, shepherds. And then there's, there's the Christmas story that we find in the book of John, which is a very different kind of Christmas story, but still a Christmas story. Mark, for his own reasons, didn't include a Christmas story. But each one of these stories, Matthew and Luke and John, each one has a little bit different focus, a little bit different bend. Because each of the authors, Matthew and Mark, Luke and John, write their Gospels for a reason. They're trying to convey something to the early church and to the world around them about something. And one of the things that Matthew is trying to convey is that Jesus is the long-awaited fulfillment of God's heart and desire for his creation. And so Matthew starts with this long genealogy of Jesus. If we had started before where we started this afternoon, we would have been in the middle of the genealogy or the beginning of the genealogy, and you really don't want me to read the whole genealogy to you because you don't want me to stumble through all of the names. But the genealogy is there for a reason. You ever pick up the book, pick up Matthew and start to read it and you're like, why did he put this in? What's the point? Well, the point is Matthew is showing us that from the moment of creation to the arrival of Jesus, God had a plan that was unfurled. And that Jesus was the, was the fulfillment of that plan, that all of the promises that God had made to his people that we find in the Old Testament are in the process of being fulfilled in Jesus. And then we get to that portion that we read about this guy named Joseph. This guy named Joseph who's engaged to be married and all of a sudden his fiance comes up pregnant and we're not going to get into the details, but Joseph knows that it's not his. 
And, and so it would have been his right to have her thrown out of the community. According to the rules of the time, he could have had her thrown out of the community. He could have had her brought before the whole community and killed. But we're told that what Joseph is what? He's a, he's a righteous man. He's a good man. And so he says, okay, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm going to quietly leave her. I'm not going to make a big deal about it. I'm not going to bring everybody's attention to it. I'm, we're going to go our separate ways, and everything, everything will be okay. Her people will take care of her. I'll move on. Everything's going to be fine. Now, <laughs> does that sound like a story that could be happening and unfurling and unfolding right now in this community? a young couple who's together. She comes up pregnant. It's not his. Sounds like a story that could be happening right now. Except in the middle of this story, an angel shows up. God intervenes. Yes, we sang a lot about angels today. Angels, unlike what pop culture or It's a Wonderful Life will have you believe angels are not dead people. They don't, they don't become angels because they do good things for people. They don't get their wings because they save George Bailey, and a bell doesn't ring when they get their wings. It's a, it's a, great, it's a great movie. I want to I be very clear. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not down on It's a Wonderful Life. But the theology of the angelology in It's a Wonderful Life is a little suspect. Now, here's the, here's the thing. Here's, angels are so much greater than that. Angels are messengers from God. In fact, the word angelos means messenger. And when an angel shows up, they speak with the authority of God. Now, I want you to imagine Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life. Does he strike you as one who speaks with the authority of God? No, maybe not so much. But when an angel, a real angel, shows up, thus saith the Lord. And so an angel speaks to Joseph in a dream and convinces him that Mary's pregnancy was in fact not a reason to call off their wedding. That in fact, Mary's pregnancy was something that was divine, that would change the world forever, and that was the culmination of God's plan. And Matthew, in, in this story, in just these few verses, Matthew is telling us two important pieces of information that reveals the heart of God for us and the heart of Christmas for the world. First, he tells us, that one, the arrival of Jesus was to save people from their sins. The world makes Christmas about so many other things, and they can be delightful things. But its true meaning falls squarely on God's dealing with our most limiting and greatest limiting factor. Sin is any way that we miss the intention of God that he had for the world when he created it. Greed and gossip, unfaithfulness, hatred, racism, sexism, all fall short of the glory of God. All of us, all of us have been subject to sin's evil influences 
and have felt the effects of sin's rule and reign. God's heart of compassion then moved him to send Jesus as a way to rescue us, to rescue the world. Second, Matthew tells us that the arrival of Jesus was so that God could be with us. See, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. Now, this is kind of revolutionary thought at the time. Every culture surrounding Bethlehem saw their gods as angry deities who punished and corrected their subjects from afar. You messed up, Zeus would strike you from the top of Mount Olympus. God so loved his broken creation that he wanted to come and be near, to be in it. He became one of us with flesh and blood to mourn when we mourn, to hurt when we hurt, and to weep when we weep. God identifies with us so that we are given the opportunity to identify with him. In short, we needed Jesus. We need Jesus still. Someone once said it this way, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, he would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, he would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, he would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was for forgiveness. And so God sent us a Savior. A Savior who eliminates any barrier between us and God. A Savior who welcomes us into a safe place alongside the God who loves us. A Savior who brings us into the family of God. This love of God is spoken of in a passage that you might not think of as a Christmas passage from the book of John. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Why? Why Christmas? Because he loved us. Why, why Jesus? Why the incarnation? Why Emmanuel? Why God with us? Why flesh and blood? Why any of those things? Because he loved us. Because of his great love for us, he sent Jesus. But we often forget, and it's, it's hard, because we try and wrap our mind around the Trinity, right? The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they're all God, but they're three persons, and it can get confusing. So let's, let's think about it this way. Jesus was sent, but he also agreed to come. He was, he was sent, but he agreed to come. And when he came, he... He clearly lived with an unwavering commitment to his purpose. In other places, he says himself that he came to seek and save the lost, which brings us to point number two. Jesus left his home to show us the way home. Jesus left his home to show us the way home. We forget this at Christmas because we're so taken with the image of a little baby in a manger, but we forget where that baby was before he was in that manger. He was in the presence of the Father. He was in 
the glories and splendors of heaven to come to be born in a barn. And it wasn't a clean barn. They, they didn't find out that Mary and Joseph were coming and get the pressure washer out and spray it out. He laid aside his divinity. He put on humanity, and he did it all for one reason, and that was to make a way for us to come home. When I was a kid, and as an adult, I have a tendency of wandering off in the store. Especially a bookstore, or a model store, or a comic store, or Walmart, Target, just wander off. Now, as an adult, not that big a deal, right? I'm big enough and ugly enough to take care of myself, and here's the best thing, I got a cell phone. And if I don't have a cell phone, I got my watch. And if I don't that got either of those, I got a really loud voice, Audrey! But when I was a little kid, I didn't have any of those things. Back it was pre-cell phone. But here was the way. If I, if I wandered off and I couldn't find mom and dad, I'm going to get scary. But here's the thing that I always knew I could do. You've met my father. He's a tall man, six foot three and a half. I could spot him. Mom sometimes got hidden behind the clothes rack. But Daddy, I could see. I could find him. I could look for my father and know how to get home. I had a direction, a thing to look for. Far too many of us are living our lives with no direction, carelessly making decisions that put us in danger and keep us far from God. And Christmas is God's way of pointing us back to the place where we belong. Christmas is God's way of leading us by grace to his eternal family. You ever wonder why everybody loves Christmas even if they've never darkened the door of a church? Because it's God's way of breaking into the world and into our lives. We don't have to live our lives lost and broken because God's great love has made a way. John says that finding our way back home is belief in Jesus. Look to him. Look to the Father through Jesus the same way that I would look for Daddy when I was a kid and I was lost. When we believe in him, we are saved by him from perishing or being lost forever, and we are given a new life that lasts not only here and now, but lasts into eternity. We're called home. Belief in Jesus is more than an intellectual exercise. A belief in Jesus is to be so persuaded and so confident that our lives are transformed, that our words and actions and thoughts become dictated by our faith, hope, love, and trust in Him. It's the work of the Spirit of God and not something that we can ever do on our own. And this is why Jesus came to rescue us. He does the work when we submit to Him. Which brings us to point three. Belief in Christ allows us to live today as well as for eternity. At the heart of Christmas is Jesus' invitation to join him and experience the full life that's available through him. A full life that is here and there. 
Don't let anybody sell you pie in the sky, fire insurance religion. Because belief in life in Christ doesn't begin when we die. It begins the moment that you trust in him. The mission began thousands of years ago in a small Bethlehem town, but it continues to this very day. And of all of the gifts that you could possibly receive or give over the coming days, this gift is by far the most valuable because it can save you. It's as if Christ, seeing our need, embarks on a mission to invade a world under the power and sway of the enemy. And the enemy is caught completely unawares. He thinks that he has won, and Jesus comes in. And not with weapons of steel and lead, but with love and hope and joy and peace. Inaugurates a new kingdom. Not of this world. That's the call today. Christmas is an invitation. Will you join Jesus in his work of rescuing all of creation? Will you trust him with your life and unapologetically believe in him? For God so loved the world that he sent the Son as a vulnerable baby to begin a powerful movement that begins then and is still active today. The church is a 2,000-year-old resistance movement against sin and death. What began in an unassuming makeshift cradle eventually led to a Roman cross that then finished in an empty tomb. And so as you revel and the lights, and the presents, and the food, and the sweets, and the family. Remember the heart of Christmas. Remember that a light has come into the world, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Not will not, not isn't going to think about it, cannot. The light is so powerful, so complete, so potent, the darkness is incapable of winning. <clears throat> Someone decided to play with it, and so it was taken away from him, and now it's a little far away. No, it's okay. You've lit a candle for hope, and you've lit a candle for peace, and for joy, and for love. That each of those is a part of the light that has come into the world. The light of Christ that the darkness cannot, cannot overcome. Merry Christmas. We are going to join together now, and we are going to sing silent.